Hello, Liturgy Guy listeners. This is your host, Jesse Weiler, and we have another great episode for you. But first, I have a few shout outs for Patreon. Uh, some of these may be double shout outs. So I apologize if we already mentioned your name, but hey, double surprise for you if I do. So shout out to Tom Ring, Jared Cowell, Wayne Rich, Father Rudiger, and John Whalen. Thank you so much for supporting us on this podcast. And if you want to support us, you can go to patreon.com slash liturgy. We are now fully up and running to send out rewards now that we are back in our offices. So go there, check out some sweet, sweet rewards and help support this podcast. This week, we are talking about etymology, liturgical words and the etymology of them, taking a deep dive into what these words mean, where do they come from, and why do we use them? Uh, Needless to say, this podcast is amazing, awesome conversation, and we hope to do more of these in the future. I think I mentioned this in the show, but if there is a word that you've heard us mention about the liturgy that you want to know the etymology of, we will do a full breakdown in a future episode. So without further ado, episode four of season five of The Liturgy Guys. Enjoy. I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. The Liturgical Institute is proud to present The Liturgy Guys. Oh, gosh, you morning people. (laughs) (laughs) We're we're morning people. You're like morning people. Mm, There you go. (laughs) I'm morning. I'm morning all of you. Well, good morning, Dennis. Good morning, Jesse Weiler. (laughs) How's it going, guys? Liturgy Guys. Liturgy Jeez, guys. We have not done a podcast called Liturgy Geist. That would be a cool. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like a Geist. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Geist means ghost in German for those who are wondering. That so that would be yeah, we need a ghost for the liturgy guys. But uh, it doesn't just mean scary ghost, it means spirit, like Holy Spirit. So in German, mm. Heiliger Geist means the Holy Ghost. I'm drinking a cup of Holy Ghost right now. What? It's called it's called coffee. So <laughs> it's, it's enthusing me for the work of podcasting. It keeps you grounded. Mm. Isn't speaking of the word enthusiasm, you know the etymology of that, Dennis? Oh, I do. Yes, yes, yes. It's one of my favorite <laughs> etymological distinctions. Chris, is gets that what we're going to talk about? Awesome yes. etymologies, distinctions. Yeah. Well, there are distinctions. Etymology is the study of the origin and meaning of words, and there's lots of words in liturg- liturgy that are kind of weird, and mm. odd, and unusual. Like liturgy. So we're going to talk about some of them. But actually, you know what? Are we ready to like just roll right into this? Because you you directed me right in, Chris. Yeah, we're morning people. We're ready to go. Oh, I am not morning people. <laughs> but you know what? I looked up first in etymology is the etymology of the word etymology. How about oh, that? That is good. That's so I, good. I get to start. For that okay. Reason. Are you okay with that, Chris? Yeah. Yeah, especially since I don't know what the etymology of etymology is. Okay. Well, first of all, let's just say in general English, etymology is what? The study of bugs. Oh, that's entomology. Entomology, yeah. What a difference an N makes. <laughs> uh, etym- uh, I, I, I don't have a I just clue. Know, I just want to know your popular sense of what the word means. I know the ology part. That's study of. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, again, it's root meanings of, uh, of words. Right. You know, the so, history and the genesis of uh, particular words. Yeah. So apparently the word comes in from old French, etymologie. A lot of those G words come from uh, French words. 
But that comes from the Greek etymologia, I guess. So logia, you can already hear logos in there, or logia, the study of, or speaking of. That you know, we talk about ology as the study of, but it's actually related to the word word, right? You're talking about something. So logos is in there, the word. And etymon means true sense or original meaning, and um, etios is the word true. So what we're talking about here is not just where does this word come from historically, although that's part of it. It's like, what does the actual truth of the word mean? And apparently Cicero, or Cicero, as they say in ancient Latin, <laughs> used the word veriloquium. Veriloquium. You can guess what that means, huh? Very would be, uh, would be true, like true. Etio, like you said, and loquium, loquacious. True yeah, speaking. yeah, true speaking. You know, a colloquium, when you go to a colloquium, is, you know, people speaking together. So etymology is the finding the true meaning, which is not just the origin or the development, although that's how the modern world thinks it, but it's what's the truth. And I think that can, uh, that can help us a little bit here. Hmm. All right. So there's the etymology of etymology. <laughs> so what's the next etymology? I don't know. You had, you had a great list. Why don't you pick one? Oh, yeah. Okay. You guys have a whole list that you're working off? This oh, is I, have a list of, I have a list of 20, yeah. but we're not going to get to all of them. Yeah, well, I think, you know, these lists, Dennis, if you're like me, you, you, when, you, when you talk about these, uh, right, there's a certain lexicon uh, for any discipline, but liturgical studies and sacramental theology has its own lexicon, too. And part of, uh, I don't know, understanding and teaching what these liturgical and sacramental words mean <clears throat> is to look at these etymologies. Yeah, so Jesse, these, you kind of end up with a running list of etymologies after a while that uh, gives some good insight. Oh, yeah. I, we will never run out of etymology. This is what I think we should do. We should have a special etymology uh, episode every so often with like an opening song and stuff like, can you work on that, Jesse? Sort of like the way the old, you know, Tonight Show <laughs> yeah, starts I'll, with, with I'll the get, song. I'll get right on that. That's you're your job. You're, like, you're the, you're the tech guy. Yeah. Sorry. Right. Okay, I'll start. Right, let's, with- let's do it. <sighs> okay, here we go. Etymology episode. And now, for your meaning of words, the truth behind the words that sometimes you hear Prepubescent trumpet noise. Uh, we have etymology hour with Dennis and Chris. Okay, first with Chris. All right. What's your first word, Chris? My first word is symbol. Oh, yeah. Yeah, symbol. Wait, symbol. we've heard this one before on the podcast. Can I take it? Yeah, because it comes up all the time. Well, do you remember uh, what its etymology is, Jesse? Well, uh, bowl comes from bole, which means to throw, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then sim, uh, gosh, that one eludes me. Uh, I don't remember what the sim yeah. part of it is. I, that, that might be the, after I tell you, uh, you, you might agree it's the easier one. So sim or sin, S-Y-N, means uh, uh, together. So uh, uh, synagogue. Sim, sympathy is to suffer together. Or symmetry mm-hmm. is to measure together. Synagogue is to lead together. Synonym is uh, what to mean together so so if i'm playing catch with my dad that's symbology uh, that's that's pretty good (laughs) it's ball it's new york symbol you're right this uh and one thing i don't know is how these uh greek uh uh forms uh uh what form they should take so baleo or balay means to throw or to hurl and in english it means uh uh like ballistics 
is uh, yeah. rooted in to, to throw or to hurl. But there's a this doesn't sound like sacraments to me, Chris. How are, <laughs> how are you going to bring this home? It sounds like bowling. I, I will bring up a few other things. So how this this Balain part um, uh, shows up. So uh, what's hyper Balain, hyperbole? Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Throwing things oh. together in an extreme way. No, that means throwing hyper up. Oh, so like, this is the best podcast ever. This is when you when you, when you hyper up. when you, you hyperbole you throw That's up hyperbole. Oh, I would literally goodness. I would literally die to be on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus speaks in parabolains. Oh yeah, parables. So parables is he doesn't come right out and say it. He kind of throws it off to the side, Along, alongside, alongside, alongside. Uh, in the um, in the in the mass after the Lord's prayer, the priest says, uh, "Deliver us, Lord, from every evil." We pray and graciously grant peace in our days. Do you know what that's called? It's like he throws em- in embolism. Embolism. Yeah, he throws oh. Balain M in this little section before we say, "For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever." Uh, the the devil. Is called Diabalain. Oh yeah, he's he a scatterer throwing. Apart. Yeah, he throws himself across Dia, uh, yeah. God's plan for the world and for your return to God. So Jesus shows up and he does an ex Balain to the Diabalain. He throws him X out. Wow! So all of these 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 Balain words were all over, but the, this one here, Symbalain, is throwing together two elements into a whole that belong together. And so in sacramental theology and liturgical uh, catechesis, it's this, um, it's this use of symbols. So you could say like ends and essay are thrown together. Invisible and visible are thrown together. Yeah, I I suppose. Yeah. The, the, the part that you can see, smell, taste, touch, or hear is thrown together with this unseen reality who is uh, ultimately God. And so when you do see, smell, taste, touch, or hear something in the liturgy, something in the sacraments, you are seeing, smelling, tasting, touching Christ. The real thing is there. And so to understand the true meaning of symbol is most of the time, Unfortunately, in I, when we hear the word symbol, we associate it to mean, oh, that's just symbolic or merely symbolic, that it's devoid of any content or substance or meaning. But according to the etymology and the use that the church uses, symbols are loaded and brimming over with uh, ultimate substance, who is uh, Christ. So I don't know if it's your genius or the coffee's kicking in, but I just have such an intellectual man crush on you right now. <laughs> Smartest. Oh, I thought you were going to say Jesse at the end of that sentence. Oh, I have a crush on you for a different reason, Jesse. <laughs> well, we can start another band with a, a hit single, Intellectual Man Crush. Oh, man Crush. Yeah. <laughs> and then it can be in parentheses, Christopher Karsten's Club. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, so there's my uh, uh, my one of my favorite uh, etymological meanings, Symbolane. Symbol. That was good, yeah. So, All right, Dennis, can you top that? I don't think I can top that, but... Uh, can you alongside that, that or throw something can, at that? I can parabolane with that one. Um, and that's the word anaphora. This is not an everyday word liturgically, anaphora. but don't look it up, Chris. Just play along. Okay. What's an, oh, you can look it up. I'm just kidding. What's, what's an anaphora? Well, a fora uh, means to carry. So like Christophora, 
is a Christ-bearer. A Christ-bearer. Right. So an anaphora is to carry ana, which I think means... (laughs) Memory or something in the past? Anadiplosis? No, that's something else. That was my (laughs) ex-girlfriend. Well, what does diplosis mean, Chris? This goes all the way back to your... Oh, I don't know. That was like season one or two. I don't... I didn't listen to those podcasts then. I certainly don't That's when you throw something in between two other things, right? Oh, is it? Anna can mean back or sometimes up or upward. We talked about anagogy a long time ago in one of the Gothic architecture things. Anagogically means you're led up from the thing to its, mm-hmm. to its meaning. There's the anagogical sense in scripture, which is where you take the, the text and you lead up to its mystical meaning. So anaphora, anaphora is the common name, at least in the Greek usage for the Eucharistic prayer, right? So we say we have multiple anaphoras. We have four primary Eucharistic prayers in the Missal. And literally, it means to carry back or to bring up. So the question then is, why would the word carrying back or carrying up be the same word as the Eucharistic prayer? That's an intriguing one, isn't it? Isn't that because that's what we're doing with the sacrifice? We have we have Christ as the bridge that mm-hmm. gets us to the heavenly reality. Yeah, we're carrying up, and then it becomes the word eventually offering. Remember... Where do you go up? You go up in the holy mountain to meet God. Uh, Abraham and Isaac go up to the top of the mountain, even the you know the temple. Solomon's up on Mount Zion. This whole idea that God Jacob, is doesn't up. Jacob go up in a chariot? Yeah, well, yeah there's, the, there's the ladder, right? Um, the angels are coming up and down. So up is where God is. And in a sense, we're offering this, carrying back to God, carrying up and offering things to God. Dennis, do you know, is it, uh, is it related to, there's the, what they call the preface dialogue, the Lord be with you and with your spirit, lift up your hearts, sursum corda, hmm. uh, we lift them up to the Lord. And I think uh, that preface dialogue is the only um, text that's common across all Eucharistic prayers and Eastern anaphoras. They all wow. vary in different points, but that's the only thing, that, the only thread that connects every single one of them. Right, because the priest is about to take all of the things of the people, their themselves, their petitions, their wounds, into the presence of God. And so the priest is like, hey, you, I'm about to do this. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. Lift up your hearts because I'm going to take them in there, hand them up, hand them to me. And I'm going to offer them again. I'm going to carry them back up the mountain to the face of God so that they can be offered there. And so that ana is up or, or back, you know, just... Um, gr- grammatically, it means something that's kind of repeated uh, over and over again, a repetition of word or phrase. In other words, it's brought back, it's brought back, it's brought back. But then you have the um, the notion, not just the words are brought back, but the word, right? It's given again uh, to the Father and it's brought up the mountain and then it becomes an offering. So it's funny how carrying back or carrying up can be the same thing as uh, a sacrifice. You ever have a cat who brings a uh, like a dead mouse to your bed at night uh i think the only one of us who has had that happen is chris <laughs> well you don't let the cats in the house in the farm they just hang out in the barn and kill mice but you know this is a common experience like the the cat catches a mouse or something or a bird and it brings it to its you know master as an offering and uh this just brings it back it brings it up as an offering and so bring it back carry back becomes this offering primarily in this case of christ being offered back to the Father by being carried up again, and then we bring ourselves as well. Telling God what Jesus did. Isn't that funny? 
Eucharistic <laughs> prayer is telling God what he already knows, but it's using words to give, offer him the word. It's well, I, I remember yeah, from an earlier, either, either an article you wrote or a podcast that, you know, there was a question about what does the priest, who's he looking at during the Eucharistic prayer? Should he be looking at the people? And you, you said that, no, but he's not talking to the people. Should he, oh, that's what it was. It was when he, when he says, this is my body, take this all of you. Should he be Oh, yeah. showing the showing the people and like you know moving it around and saying yeah. here, here it is guys what i remember you saying dennis is no because the eucharistic prayer isn't addressed to the people and it's not it's addressed to the father and the the gestures need to accompany that right it's the priest and the people together acting as christ offering them the offering of christ to the father mm-hmm. and so they're they're together carrying it back because christ is doing this offering primarily right he's carrying back to the father offering again his sacrifice, and that's what the Eucharistic prayer is. So the priest does not say that to the people, even though it sounds like it in the words it's uh, said to the Father. Okay. All, All right, right, Chris. I got, I got another one. I want to go again. It's, it's, it was inspired by uh, See, what, you were, fun? what you were just explaining there. And this is another one we've talked about a lot, and it's mystagogy. Yeah, Mr. That's a season one reference there. Yeah, I like that's it. the father of anagogy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it's related. So agog means uh, to lead. So anagogy is uh, to lead back or to lead up. I think is what you're saying. Uh, pedagogy is to lead uh, the child to the teacher. I think that's the original meaning in, in Greek is the, the, the household would have uh, – you know, a servant or somebody who would lead the kid to the, to the magister. And then uh, synagogue. And a synagogue, as we said, is Mm -hmm. a leading together. And pedagogy is leading feet. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Actually, (laughs) it's leading. Pedagogy, I think. Pedagogy would be leading kids. Right. Because they're learning to use their feet. That's actually where it comes from. The leading. They're related. The pad and the pod. Uh, well, yeah, the pedagogy, yeah, it's from peasants because the little kids are those who are learning to walk or those who are following mm-hmm. the teacher and walking. So it's the leading. And leading Den- Denagogy is leading Dennis, which is kind of hard to do. <laughs> Impossible. Uh, so mystagogy is leading mystes into the mystery. So uh, in some ways, like a mystery novel is something that's unseen or unknown. Uh, it kind of means that in in catechesis like this, but the mystery, the Christian mystery isn't quite like a whodunit mystery because God has revealed the plan of the mystery in Christ. And so it's being led into that mystery who is Christ himself. So it's being led from what you can see or sense in some way to what you can't. So Dennis was doing a little mystagogical catechesis just then when he was explaining, you know, the priest with the with the bread in his hands during the words of institution, how he's not showing this or directing this to the people. So he, he's, Dennis was explaining what you see being led from what you see to what it actually means. This encounter of offering uh, uh, Christ as the oblation along with the rest of us back to God, the father. So he's doing a little mystagogical catechesis. I am so mystical, man. Dude. Yeah, well, it's a very rewarding type of uh, explanation of the liturgy. I mean, you could uh, 
you know, somebody like our, our Dr. Fagerberg would say, you could you could explain what happens in the Eucharistic prayer according to the rubrics. You do it this way because the rubric said this, or you could explain it according to history. Well, since the you know fifth century uh, sacramentary of Gelasius or whomever it was, uh, that's why we do it this way. Or I mean, you can. There's a num and a lot of them are very insightful. But I think what's good about uh, this mystagogical catechesis is, is all you have to do is have senses. And if you have senses, you can be led into the mystery. So it's, it's, that, uh, that's it's kind of what we're doing, right? Isn't etymological work actually kind of mystagogical? We're saying, here's this word, exteriorization, and we're finding the inner true meaning. So, well, especially, Dennis, if, if the ultimate logos is the, in the beginning was the logos and the logos was with God, all of these logia are leading us hopefully to Christ in this uh, this little podcast and elsewhere. Band, band name, Jesse, Ultimate Logos. I once had a choir song with those with those lyrics. Uh, Ultimate Logos? No, no. In the beginning was a word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That was the bass part. It was uh, it was like very rhythmic. And anyway, uh, uh, Dennis, I think we have time for one more word. We do? Okay. Yeah. Well, this word is mass. Mm. Ass, mm. do another one. That one's <laughs> <laughs> well. You know, it seems kind of obvious, right? We go to mass, and the you know, in the at time of the council and liturgical movement, people were sort of down on the word mass because they thought it meant the dismissal. Ite misa est is the line in the end of mass in Latin, which means the mass is ended, and then this dismissal is go in peace. Um, and so that was the thing: is mass isn't just about being sent out, but that is the word that often gets associated with mass, and. So people wanted to use the word liturgy because it was more accurate to what was actually done. But any thoughts on this one, Chris? Well, I think it's a little unclear. I think literally is an ite misa est, go, it is sent. Mm -hmm. So people ask, well, what's the it? What is it that's sent? Right. It's from is mitere, it? which is the, the um, Latin word to, to let go or to send. So if you're sent on mission, you're well, sent so, out to do something. Yeah. Related to, it's really the missile too. Right. Right. Misa, right. Because the, it's the book of the sending and Misa or dismissal is that word that's right in there. Um, and so you have this word that's kind of funny. Why would the mass be about the sending out? Well, you can kind of theologize that, right. That you're now that you're transformed by the mystical body's participation in the divine life of the Trinity, you can go out and, and transform the world. So there's something to that. Any other thoughts you have about that? Go, it has been sent. What has been sent? It doesn't say go, you've been sent, right? It's it has yeah, what, been sent. The, the, the word has been, it has been sent. Is it is, the prayer? Is it something else? The gospel? Is it the, is it the, is it the Eucharistic offering that's been sent up to heaven? Is it the Eucharist that's been sent to the people who aren't there? Is it my donation that was sent to the refectory? <laughs> well, I don't know that this is a settled question, but I learned this from Liturgical Institute faculty member, Dr. Lynn Bowden, who always thinks outside the box. She's very smart, and she never is satisfied with just the standard answer. And so I sat in on one of her classes once in the Origins and Structures of the Eucharist years ago, and she said that Thomas Aquinas mentions in one of his questions that the sending refers to the angel who is taking the offerings to the altar of God. And that's where the word mass comes from. So mm -hmm. I said, okay, well, that's interesting. Where is that? And so I looked it up and uh, I'm afraid to lose my spot here, but it's um, 
The third part of the Summa, question 83, article 4, reply to objection 9. And what Thomas says right here is, the priest does not pray that the sacramental species may be born to heaven or that Christ's true body may be born either, um, but that the angel standing by at the divine mysteries may present to God the prayers of both priest and people, according to Apocalypse 8, 4. Um, so God's altar on high, he says, either means the church triumphant um, or anyway, he, he says all this complicated stuff. But then at the end, he finally says it straight. And from this, the mass derives its name, Misa, because the priest sends his prayers up to God through the angel as the people do through the priest or else Christ is the victim sent. And so accordingly, the deacon dismisses the people at the end of mass saying, Ite misa es. that is the victim has been sent to God through the angel. So there you go. So you want to say missile? Oh, that's a word that just means, you know, you've been dismissed. No, no, no. It, it's really at the heart, at least according to Aquinas, the heart of the matter. This bread and wine, this sacrifice of Christ has been sent. And there's that beautiful line from Eucharistic Prayer 1, the Roman canon, may your angel take this offering to your altar in heaven. So you're fond, Chris, of telling your kids to put things in the chalice, you know, their mm. prayers and desires and bodies and family and friends. And well, what good is that if it just sits there on the altar, right? There's two ways to look at this, right? One is the epiclesis, right? The Holy Spirit comes down and transforms the gifts. Another way to look at it is the angel comes along and takes it into this kind of microwave of God's presence, as I like to talk about it. And then remember the holy God is holy and confers holiness. The presence of God is holy and confers. Could holiness. we call it a macro wave since it belongs to God? There you go. Yeah, macro wave. Come so, on, Jesse. Uh, Give me some kudos I'm, there. I'm a big fan of that, and I'm. I just I'm really excited to uh, that about the phrase angelic macro wave. Mm-hmm. So think about that again next time you go to mass. So you can call it Mass. I'm going to the sending. What am I doing? Well, the, the preparation, the readings, the, the homily are all preparation for the sending. I know the mission of God. I know my place in it. I've been encouraged by the homily. I say, I believe in the creed. And then I put everything now that I've been prepared, everything on the altar, on the patent, in the chalice. And then the angel's going to take it. God's angel's going to take it to his altar in heaven so that it can be macrowaved by his presence, glorified, and then brought back. And so the sending, the mass, is actually a really good word, I think, for the mass and not just a mistake of history where you've been, you've been sent out the door at the end. Although that's good, too. You're always sent on mission. The reason you're sent on mission is because you've been sent to the presence of God who glorifies you. And then you take that glory out to the world in the, in the second sending. I have one question about this. Um, how, how is this? Um, it, how is this in regard to the different dismissals that we had in the earlier masses when we had a uh, different series of dismissals, depending on how far along you were in the catechetical process? Uh, I think what you're asking is there, there's right. So if you are a catechumen and not yet baptized, you had your own little uh, me say you're dismissed before the uh, you're sent before right. the, the Eucharistic prayer starts. Um, so, yeah, I, I gather there's a series of dismissals, but I think uh, in this case, what Dennis is saying, the the dismissal here, it's, it's in many ways about the people leaving, but uh, not disconnected from what they have sent up to God through the hands of the angel to the altar on high. Okay. Right. The word means you can be, it's, it's sending, right? So you could be sending to God, you could be sent out to transform the world, you could be sent away because you're 
uh, catechumen and you're not ready for the, the truth. So it, has, it has both divine meeting and human meeting as meaning as at the same time. Just like the liturgy has divine meaning, human meaning coming together. And yeah, just like Christ is the perfect uh, coming together of divinity and humanity and as one person. Well, I, uh, I love this type of podcast. I, I feel like we should do a lot more of these. And but, we will. But we need but, an introductory song. Will you, yeah. can you work Maybe on I could, that? I could, uh, I could throw, I could uh, symbol together. Uh, I bet you could. Of, but uh, if you are a listener out there and you have heard us use a word like this on our podcast and you want the etymology of it, send, send me an email at questions at uh, liturgyguys.com and we will add it to our list of etymologies that we want to go through. So should we uh, answer a question? Yes, yes, yes. Coffee, 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 caffeine. Yes, let's answer a question. Woo! So why go to the Liturgical Institute? Well, if you want to serve the church and do liturgical studies from the heart of the church, you won't find any place quite like this. This place is faithful to the magisterium, but it's a dynamic orthodoxy, not dry. And at the same time, it not only makes the faith come alive, it also empowers you to help that be the experience for others as well. Hi, I'm Dr. Scott Hahn, and I want to warmly recommend the Liturgical Institute for your consideration. Pray about going and studying and sharing the richness of our living tradition. Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? Okay, this question comes to us from Father Chris. Father Chris says, hello, liturgy guys. Hello, hello Father Chris. Father Chris. <laughs> I've thoroughly enjoyed the podcast, and I can honestly say it's had a major impact on the way I approach singing the Mass, with the exception of the current COVID restrictions. That's awesome. He says, looking ahead to the future, my question is in regard to singing the dismissal, Ite Misa Est and Deo Gratias, in the ordinary form of the Mass. Where does a priest or deacon go to find the variations in melody for the dismissal in Latin? I've heard you can essentially repeat the melody from whatever Kyrie setting you are using. Is this true? Thanks for your help. I am not entirely sure the answer, but here's, uh, here's my stab at it. Um, and I have to say, too, uh, Father Chris mentioned COVID, so I'm podcasting from my basement in uh, rural Wisconsin, so I don't have all of my books with me. I have the current English missile, but I don't have the Latin missile. But I would think that the answer is, is to look at the music as printed exactly uh, in the missile. Um, so can you use other melodies than that? I think you probably could. However, there's something about um, trying to get into on your own kind of lips as a, as a singer, but also into the ears of the faithful, uh, the melodies that the church puts forward. So these melodies themselves uh, would, you know, are traditional ones. And so that's a good thing to do because uh, uh, not because we've always sung it that way, but because it, it demonstrates the kind of longevity of the missile that we used its traditional context, but also, you know, you want to get the assembly used to hearing the dismissal in a certain tone so that they can respond to it in a certain tone. Uh, same way, you know, uh, I do deacon formation in the diocese. And so like the, the, the greeting and the introduction, introductory dialogue before the gospel. I mean, there's a certain way to sing that now, uh, 
sometimes it goes a little bit uh, uh, off script and it works, but sometimes it doesn't because the people's response will take its tone from what they hear coming out of the mouth of the minister. So to Father Chris's question, I think I would try to stick as closely as possible to the tones that are given in the Missal, whether it's the English Missal or the Latin Missal, because this forms, you know, the right way to respond for the people. So if they hear something, they don't know what the what the comeback is or how to sing it. It's going to kind of thwart the their participation in the overall celebration of the liturgy. Yeah, I tried this in class yesterday because I'm teaching this class on music and Catholic liturgy. And I started the prayer and I thought, oh, maybe I'll just start singing, improvising a prayer and singing. And I didn't finish on the right tone and nobody knew where to say amen so it just left them hanging in that awkward nowhere land so uh the mm. predictability of liturgy is uh is a helpful thing to the people in the pews yeah isn't the isn't the standard though that's one you can use in deo gratia right there is but now there, there's four different uh dismissals oh so it depends on which dismissal right. you're singing Go in peace, thanks be to God. Go forth, the mass is ended. Thank I think his, his question was in regard to Latin, though. They are, but, I mean, these English ones come from the Latin Missal, and ah, the English stones okay. come from the Latin Missal, so there'll be something similar in the Latin Missal. And, I, again, I think the best advice is stick to the stick to the text, uh, or okay. the music in this instance. Okay, Father Chris, I hope that answers your question. And if you want to ask us a question, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com or you can tweet us at liturgyguys or you can tweet Dennis. DMAC Super Taster, comma, colon, semicolon, open quote, taste more than you do, close quote. Or you can write your question on a can of beans because that's probably where Chris will put his, all of his storage for his bomb shelter that he has in the basement uh, for the apocalypse. So we'll probably get him there. Yeah, people at home can't see, but right behind Chris's head is a banjo, and over his right shoulder is a crossbow with several with some arrows. arrows. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is not a joke. This is serious. So he's, do he's not a approach real, his house unannounced because you never know what will come flying at you. He's a he's well, a real season. He, he's a real Katniss Everdeen. That that Chris. Uh, what? Anyway, don't worry. Our millennials will understand that. All right. Thank you, and God bless. The Liturgy Guys is brought to you by the Liturgical Institute at the University of St. Mary of the Lake, Adoremus, Society for the Renewal of the Sacred Liturgy, and the Center for Beauty and Culture at Benedictine College. Now that's a podcast.